0: Confessions of a Crappy Christian is powered by the Converge Podcast Network. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of the Confessions of a Crappy Christian podcast. I'm your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake Guiche. And I'm so pumped to be bringing you season two of this show, packed full of more people telling incredible stories of who God is and what he's done. All right, y'all, welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. This week I am having a conversation with author Sarah Bauer Anderson, and we're talking about something that I love and am passionate about, but hasn't really made its way onto the podcast on purpose, and that is politics. But I want to give a disclaimer, if seeing the title of this episode or hearing me say that we're talking about politics makes you roll your eyes and be like, ugh, I don't want to listen to this anymore, I want you to know that we are not talking about our personal beliefs, we're not talking about the way that we're voting, we're not talking about candidates, we're not talking about policies, we're talking about talking about politics and how to have this conversation gracefully lovingly civilly with people that we agree with with people that we disagree with how to see the candidates as human beings with real lives behind all of the glitz and glamour and honestly this conversation really challenged me and encouraged me and I hope that it will do the same for you Hey, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Hi, thanks for having me. I just nerded out for about five <laughs> minutes before we started recording because I'm so excited. And oh. in my intro, I gave a disclaimer. We are talking about politics, unapologetically, unapologetically. Yes. We are going to talk about politics, so if you're one of those, I don't come here for politics people, you want to skip this episode because <laughs> we're going to talk about it, and I'm not sorry. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so to get us started, you have such an interesting story and connection to politics, so I'd love yeah. for you to just tell us a little bit about like, your life, your upbringing, and, and what brought you to this point of, of embarking on the conversation of politics and Christianity.
1: Yeah, so I I was raised in a very political family. I grew up um, just outside Washington D.C. in Northern Virginia in the suburbs, and my parents met working at the Republican National Committee. So they moved to D.C. after college and met there. They they'd always loved politics and kind of had this romance at the over I politics, love it. <laughs> and then um, got married. And my mom um, worked for a congresswoman for the early years of their marriage, and my dad volunteered on the Reagan campaign, oh, and then. Working and the Reagan administration kind of worked his way up. I think the story goes he started working on the campaign for a dollar a day, I think. So wow. it was like, he was technically con- considered staff, but you know, you're not yeah. really making a living <laughs> on $1 a day, but he believed in, um, and Reagan so much and, um, worked on his campaign Then became part of the administration as under secretary of education and then chief domestic policy advisor to the president. So our world was very political, but you know, when you're growing up in it, you don't really know any different from right. what you're experiencing. So it didn't seem that weird at the time we had like all these kinds of perks of being able to go to a inaugurations or the Easter egg hunt at the White House or you know these sorts of things but it felt kind of normal at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my senior year of high school in 1999 my dad threw his hat in for the Republican nomination for president. So that kind of uh, turned up the volume a little bit on our political involvement mm-hmm. and really changed our perspective in a lot of ways because I think like I said we'd experienced the perks but when you willingly put yourself kind of out front, Um, like he did, it's not all great anymore. So Mm. you really lose control of the narrative that's being told about you. I think the thing that bothered me the most was um, it was a primary season. So the the conflict wasn't between two different parties. It was between Republicans. And these are people that you would normally be have on your team. right? Right. And so it just was so disarming and and frustrating to see how quickly we could make adversaries out of people that under any other circumstances we would consider friends. So that was really hard. Like you knew how divisive Washington was, but that kind of just took it to a new level for our family. So I did not, I personally did not love that experience. I think that was probably what made me determined to leave Washington after I graduated high school and I did and did not go back. My whole family still lives there, my brother and my sister, but I wanted to kind of get into this space to kind of share my family's story, but also, you know, I I've moved away. I've had different life experiences and I feel like some of the things that my family, we had all grown up kind of agreeing on and believing we don't anymore And we haven't had the luxury of not being able to, um, talk about it because they're all still very involved in it. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to be able to share how we've kind of figured out a way forward, because this is obviously something all of us are going through, but also the, having moved where I am and having, you know, lived in church world for, um, my entire professional life now, I've just seen that there's so much more nuance in the faith and political world than we, what we typically see. And so I really wanted to write about a better way forward, you know, just for my own personal purposes. But I'm a mom. I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, and I do not want to pass down this political culture to them. And I want them to know there's a better way, and not just because I told them, but because we experienced it in our family.
0: That's amazing. Well, and I listened to an interview that you did, and you were talking about how politics just strip people of their humanity. Yes. And yeah. that was so impactful to me because even yeah. as someone who embraces nuance, I love that you use that word. I, mm-hmm. huge, that word became so important in 2020 yes. because yes. so many people seem to be so incapable of it. Right. But, <laughs> but right. that degree of nuance, I have mm-hmm. not even been. Incredibly capable of that yeah, Biden yeah. is a grandfather and a right. husband, and so is Trump, and that these are humans, like right, yes, potentially yeah. the most hu- powerful humans in the world, right? But they're right. still human beings, and that they're somebody's dad and they're somebody's brother, and
1: yes, that that makes it
0: a totally different conversation. It does.
1: I I just I remember when my dad was running that you they would take like a sound bite of his and, and thinking someone can build an entire narrative in their mind about what they think about him based on this one sentence. And Mm -hmm. it's not like the media's fault. Like that's just the reality of being a public figure. Mm -hmm. But I just remember there was so much more to him I wanted people to experience. I'm like, you'll never, you could tell me what his foreign policy is, but you don't really know him unless you know how much he loves terrible science fiction movies. Like that's a huge (laughs) part of him too. You know what I mean? Yeah. there's just so much more to it that we'll never know from the politician. So I try to keep that in mind now. It's hard. Yeah, it is. You only ever see, you know, the talking heads, but just to remember that, yeah, they go home to families. Like mm-hmm. they have a way they like their coffee. They have, you know, favorite foods. They have grandkids. They have, there's so much more that goes into it than what we see. I'm just trying to remember that.
0: Well, and I think that we have transferred that to other people. Mm-hmm. And, and I, a lot of our conversation is going to kind of revolve around politics and Mm. and nuance and social media. And I mean, the posts that you see floating around about like, if you vote for Trump, you can't be a Christian (laughs) or if you vote for Biden, you can't be a Christian. We're making these grandiose assumptions about people that we do with political figures, but we're doing it with people that we know in real life based off of, or don't know in real life (laughs) based off of who they're voting for.
1: Yeah, And it's, it's insane. It is insane. And I think actually it's super dangerous anytime Very. we attach the faith card to it, because I think we, well, we stop thinking critically. As soon as we think God's on our side, then there's no need mm-hmm. to really think critically about the other side or our own, because we think God's with us and cosigns or whatever we think. So that mm-hmm. is a problem. We stop thinking, but also I think it allows us to get away with some really bad behavior because yes. if we think we be, we make it a kind of righteousness pursuit and not really about just politics and, and not to say that our you know our, our faith shouldn't influence our politics but we just need to be really careful because there's been a we have had a long history in Christianity of getting involved in political issues and making the faith look bad as a result and not actually changing anything politically yes. as a result. So it's just is a dangerous road to kind of go down.
0: It is and so I your book The Space mm-hmm. Between Us I think its mission is to equip people to navigate these differences well with nuance to promote mm-hmm. togetherness. Can so tell us a little bit about kind of how you approach that and, and what the space between us is about.
1: Yeah, well, I think you know, political commentators have been telling us for years, but especially since 2016, that people are moving to their fringes when it came to their ideologies, which I don't – I mean, that has some problems, but I don't think that's the, the biggest problem. I think the biggest problem is what we've seen in the past four years especially is the growing relational space as a result of the growing ideological space. So it's not just that we're believing things on opposite ends of the spectrum, but we are removing ourselves from people who believe things that are different from us. So. Mm-hmm. That to me is a big problem because I don't think, you know, if, if we are a democracy, we are supposed to be made up of varied ideas and that we shouldn't be shying away from the, the disagreements or the conflict. That's part of living in a democracy. That's something we should welcome. But what's not okay is when, like you were saying, we're making character judgments or we're seeing the sum total of a person based on one political decision on November 3rd or mm-hmm. whenever the date is, whatever year it is. So I think that's where it begins. To be a problem. I wanted to write to say, yes, hold on to your convictions, your beliefs, whatever it is that you believe strongly in, but not at the expense of the relationships closest to you. Like, that's never a good idea for a lot of reasons. You know, for Christians, you know, the measure of our witness is in how well we treat other people and how much we love other people. But also, you know, we shy away from conflict. We're missing out on a tool that can help us sharpen our our ideas. Like, Mm -hmm. conflict is what makes us get to the best idea possible. We need that kind of you know that proverb iron sharpens iron we need that we need to be able to bump up against each other and experience friction in order to arrive at the best possible conclusion without conflict we will not get there so i think that's part of it too we need to reframe what conflict is it's not a bad thing the disagreeing is not a bad thing what's bad is when we allow our feelings towards the issues become the way that we influence the way we treat the people who hold those issues yes
0: and that is such a part of it so I love engaging in these conversations. People yeah. who follow me on Instagram know that like, I'm constantly trying to navigate talking about politics because I'm passionate about it and I love yeah. it, but not being super divisive or ostracizing yeah. people. But what I found is exactly what you said, that we, and I don't want to make generalizations, but I yeah. feel like so many people have become incapable of just mm-hmm. having a conversation about the yeah. facts.
1: Yeah, you no, that's
0: totally right. That talking about policy and talking about, Well, first of all, (laughs) this might get me in trouble. (laughs) Like, first of all, there are so many people who are just completely politically illiterate. Yeah. (laughs) They don't actually, like, they are actually voting their feelings, which terrifies me because... Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's just so scary to me. But (laughs) so they, they... can't come to the conversation and have this, like, Mm -hmm. lively debate of policy and and bills and whatever because they don't know, but also because they are... They have tethered together Mm -hmm. what you believe about politics and who you are as a person. And while I think that the two... They they lean into one another. They mm-hmm. they aren't synonymous, and right. so it's really difficult to do what you're saying of togetherness yeah. and overcoming differences when people are like, "Oh, you're voting for him. You're a white supremacist. You're a racist. You're a bigot. You're you know like whoa 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 whoa
1: like <laughs> I what like what about my life has ever right shown you that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that is a big deal because we've gone from just being angry, which again, I'm not, I'm not saying anger is the problem because to me, when I, when I think of somebody having an angry response to someone, someone's voting for, there's almost something positive in it because they're saying, I expected better from you or I believe whether they're right or wrong, I expected more from you. We've moved into a culture of contempt and of shaming, which is saying, I don't believe you're capable of better. And so I'm just completely writing you off as a person, not just like, I disagree with this decision you're making. I think you're a bad human and there's no hope for you like that. And that to <laughs> me is a bigger problem that yeah. we are, we're making on both sides of the aisle. We are a- making these huge character judgments about people, um, without taking into consideration the, the histories that we have. The, and the way experience. Yes.
0: Yes. of that
1: plays into it.
0: Yes. And that's what kills me is, you know, seeing both sides do it. And you're just like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, if you are voting for Biden, then you're a baby murderer. I'm sorry. Like, can we not do that? Because it's like both sides are doing it to each other. And it's this inability to extract. We've just made it so personal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure. and then social media has just become this battleground instead mm-hmm. of discourse, right? Yeah. Which I'm a weirdo, and I love talking to and listening to people that I don't agree with. Same, yeah. I it's think like that's one good. of it's like one of my favorite things in the yeah. world to do. But <laughs> but that is becoming increasingly difficult. Because I want to listen to this podcast by this person that I don't agree with. And I want to understand what the quote unquote other side, even though I hate that terminology, believes and why they feel the way that they do. But I'm not signing up to be like
1: beat over the head with what an awful person I am for 30 minutes. Exactly. Nobody wants that. No one wants no. to choose that. Yeah, I think you're right that it's I think it's healthy though to do what you're doing. I try to do the same thing, you know, whether it's podcast or certain social media platforms, I will intentionally expose myself to people who think differently than me, but I will not do it if it's just reactionary every time. Like I want to follow people who are thoughtful about how they reached the conclusions they did, even if they reached a different one than I did. Cause I right. know that they've put their their time and energy exactly. into drawing the conclusions they did. So I think it's it's helpful to expose our ourselves to it I, I've heard Jeremy Courtney use this this term before he's the founder of this organization preemptive love and he talks about you know we want to be peacemakers yes but he's like but really we're only responsible for being peace seekers like we cannot mm. take on the responsibility of whether another person wants to make peace with us or not we can only mm. do our part in it and so I feel like that's where the social media piece gets complicated that, that if you are wanting to have good conversation but the other person isn't you can only do so much, you know, then the rest is kind of out of your hands. But I think it's, it's the willingness to want to engage and to have the conversation that is the most important and not just immediately shutting things down because yes. we think differently. Yes. Yeah.
0: So what are some of the principles in the yeah. space between us that you're telling, like, how do we do this? Well,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the, the biggest one, um, is probably this, and this is what I've, I've seen in my family a lot. And with friends that, um, I think differently from is a curiosity over a shaming, immediate shaming mm-hmm. and just leading with questions and, and asking instead of how could you think this way? It's tell me why you, mm-hmm. how you landed on this position. I want help me understand is yes. the posture instead yes. of this accusatory, how could you, or you're automatically wrong. And I'm trying to change your mind to not be wrong. I want to, I want, I want to be a learner about your life experience. So help me understand what you've experienced, what your family's experienced that has made you land on this page. Because I want to be able to say, I don't have it all figured out either. And anytime we kind of have that posture of, of wanting to learn, I think that helps. So I think that's the first part. Um, I think we have to continue to stay engaged in real life relationships. You know, I think mm-hmm. social media makes it really easy for things to get emotional and out of hand quickly. But I think the face-to-face is so big. I and One of the chapters in the book, I talk about a trip my husband And I took to Northern Ireland and we just learned a lot about the history while we were there. I honestly didn't know much at all going into it, but in the 1960s, there was like this Northern Ireland was trying to decide if they were going to stay part of the United Kingdom or join the Republic of Ireland. And so there, there was just a lot of unrest over their constitutional status. And there was a lot of violence and protests and things were just getting out of hand. And so Mm -hmm. the government built what they called peace walls in different parts of Belfast to separate different parts of the city that predominantly held one view from another. And their idea was that if we could put up a wall to keep them from interacting with each other, then maybe there won't, they won't be violent against each other. Hmm. But the, actually the exact opposite happened because the troubles, as they call them, lasted for another 30 years after and the violence continued. And to me, the message there is we build these walls thinking we're protecting our you know, emotional health or our whatever it is just to keep the from taking over our lives, but the opposite happens. When we are not engaging people who think differently than us, it is so much easier to dehumanize them and to see them as as not a person. And, you know, we see these studies where they talk about um, eye contact in both parties triggering the empathetic responses in our brains. But if we're not engaging in face-to-face conversations, we are not engaging empathetic feelings for somebody Mm -hmm. else. So we can't be shutting down the one-on-one relational side of things because that's when We really start to see the human, and not just uh, you know the 180 characters on a on a tweet or you know social media post, whatever it is. We start to see the human behind it.
0: That is, and that's so important. We have completely dehumanized one another. Yeah, and and I think there's such an added layer to that because of COVID. Yes, yes. We are literally not. Allowed to see people. I mean, right. was those, those, right. you know, those restrictions are are yep. lifting slowly but surely. But there's this space between us got even more vast because we were apart, and I think that it it dehumanized us from
1: one another and it, it's made us god it's made us so much more incapable yes of, i think so too what you said. but in some ways i think it had the potential and maybe it still does in some ways to be good because we because we couldn't go anywhere we were forced to really do life with the people physically close by to us. Well, we don't choose who our neighbors are. You know, we could be living next to someone who votes a different party from us, and we've been forced to have to engage with them because we're not going anywhere else. So I think it could be helpful, but I think most of the time it has not been helpful. I think what we've done is we've stayed indoors and tuned into our screens, and that has led to more conflict and more disengagement as opposed to kind of participating in the world right outside our doors.
2: listening to the converge podcast network and now a message from a network supporter this podcast is sponsored by denison ministries denison ministries is a movement creating 7 million culture changing christians who are committed to carrying out the truths of the gospel in their sphere of influence through a variety of ways which is why denison ministries is excited about sponsoring today's podcast One of the cool ways Denison Ministries helps Christians feel closer to God is through their First 15 devotional. First 15 is designed to help you spend the first 15 minutes of your day experiencing God through meaningful devotional thoughts, scripture, worship, and prayer. Sign up today and get the First 15 email devotional sent directly to your inbox. Go to first15.org. That's first15.org. You can also start your day off with the first 15 devotional podcasts. You can sign up there in your favorite podcasting app. Now back to today's show.
0: Let's talk about leadership. Yeah. That I think by and large has been really disappointing for people yeah. Yeah. because in my experience, in this conversation, leaders either, and this is just my experience, I'm not calling out specific leaders at all. They either completely stay away from the conversation Mm -hmm. with Christian leaders, right? We're talking about like Christianity. They either completely, completely avoid the conversation or they tell you how to vote. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That feels right. Those are the two options. Right. And they, I'm going to be, well, no, I'm not going to be totally honest because that's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is for public consumption. But I think that that has been disappointing yeah, for a lot of people. And, you know, obviously like you need to pray, you need to research, you need to use discernment, you need to make your mm-hmm. own decision, but God has equipped certain people for leadership. And mm-hmm. there's a reason for that because we naturally look to mm-hmm. other people for guidance. I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think, yeah. I, think I don't, think that we need to be letting somebody tell us how to vote. We need to do right. our own research, right. but how do you want to see Christian leaders implement what you're teaching in their communities, on their like platforms, yeah. social media yeah. influencers, churches, pastors, Like, how do you want
1: to see this used? Yeah, there are probably two things I would say, I would suggest to, to, for Christian leaders. Um, The first is, I think we need to really work on our humility, kind of let go a little bit of our sense of certainty around some ideas that we Mm. think we've gotten, that we think we've figured out so far. I listened to this Ted talk, Catherine Schultz, I think her name is, she did this whole thing about what it feels like to be wrong. And she Mm. asked this, uh, the audience, you know, yell out your answer. What does it feel like to be wrong? People would say things like embarrassing or disgusting disturbing or humiliating, like all these different words. And she said, no, that's what it feels like when you discover you're wrong. When you are wrong and don't know it, it feels a lot like being right. Yep. Like it's the exact same thing. And so just that idea of being able to hold to our ideas, like have your beliefs, convictions, opinions, whatever it is, but Be able to say, I may have gotten this wrong and Mm -hmm. I don't know it yet. And so, approaching other people with their other life experiences and being able to ask questions of how their life experience led them to where they are, I think that gives us a lot more credibility. It helps us um, get rid of the self righteousness, which I think Christians have a long standing tradition of behaving that way. And I think it would look really good on us if we stopped acting that way and just Mm -hmm. had a posture of humility and saying, We may not have figured this out. I'm doing the best I can with what I know, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm not saying I have nothing left to learn. I'm not saying there's no way I'm going to change my mind. I just think of how many times I've heard politicians, you know, dig their heels on, on things or even, or Christian leaders as well. And I'm like, gosh, I would like you so much more. If you mm-hmm. just said, you know what, I was wrong. I'm not sure about that. Right, or I was I wrong. Know. I changed my mind. Like, there's just a humanity to that, that I think we're missing in leadership. So just being able to say, this is what I know so far, but I'm not shutting the door to changing my mind um, because I don't know everything there is to know. So I think that's the first thing is- have,
0: I have to interject. Have you seen yeah. that meme that's like normalized changing your opinion when presented with new information? No, but that sounds fantastic. It's exactly like, <laughs> why? Yes. You could literally be presented with information that completely changes a concept and yes. you're still going to be like, No. I believe what I believe. The most
1: unhealthy thing in the world. What are we doing? What are we doing? (laughs) But I do think, you know, to your point, leaders need to lead out in that. I think leaders need to make it look less scary to change your mind and that it's not a liability. Like, this is that tells me that you're continuing to learn, that you haven't stopped. If you're refusing to change your mind, it's that, oh, you think you've arrived. You've got nothing else to know. So,
0: or I think the other side to that is sorry, I have lots of thoughts on this. I I think the other side of that is. A fear of cancel culture. Mm, yeah. That, that sure. you we have made our leaders and influencers so incapable of admitting that they were wrong because they're yeah. going to get canceled.
1: Yeah.
0: I, I've watched that unfold. I've watched people yeah. admit they were wrong and then lose hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so I think that there's a, this fear embedded as well of admitting, because changing your mind means admitting you were wrong. Right. In and people truth, may have been following way. you for that reason. Exactly. So, yeah, so it's mean, it it's sense. letting go of this fear like this fear of man and this desire to appeal to your audience mm-hmm. and like the truth being
1: more important than that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that that's 100% true and cancel culture is a different beast trying to navigate mm-hmm. what you do with that. The other thing I would tell I would tell leaders is to to remember themselves, but also to remember the people that they're to remind people that they're leading, um, that Jesus is not a registered Republican and he's not a registered Democrat. (laughs) But I mean, I need to remember that too. I think we, we all, it is so easy to want to put Jesus in this box. Um, and I, I tell this story in the book of, I went to a really small Christian conservative college. I would say 99% of us were white evangelical Republicans. Mm -hmm. And I remember I saw a poster on the wall for the young Democrats club my freshman year and was like, wait, we have those here? Like, who are, who are you? And how do we have enough for a club? That was my first question. But then uh, underneath like the time and location, it said, Jesus loves Democrats too, as kind of like this tongue in cheek. And I remember thinking, that's funny. And I think he does love Democrats, but he probably likes Republicans more because we stand for what he stands for. And I really, it like blew my mind to consider that Jesus was not a middle-aged, middle-class white American man. Like I just had always envisioned him this way and grown up in this kind of bubble, you know, the eighties and nineties in and Washington evangelical world, that was what Jesus was to me. So I think we have got to let go of trying to force Jesus into a box that he will not fit into and to come to terms with the fact that we've put him in that box, we're going to be disappointed at some point or another. So just to encourage people to think outside the, the lines a little bit and to challenge them that if they think, if Jesus is agreeing with them on all the issues that they hold and all the beliefs that they hold, then it's possible they aren't actually following Jesus, but Mm. a glorified version of themselves. That (laughs) is problematic on multiple levels, but Mm -hmm. that just is, I think that's what we need to remember. Jesus isn't supposed to look like us. There should be something about him and what he invites us to that should make us uncomfortable always. And so if we're too... Too comfortable, it's it, chances are we're missing something. So I think there's we got to be leaning into that tension of mm-hmm. what he invites us to, and not feel like we haven't figured out this is the ticket he would vote for. And if you vote differently, then you can't be a follower of his. Uh, you coming? You coming for people today?
0: <laughs> I'm gonna get. I am gonna get emails about this, and I'm so excited because <laughs> no. I like no. Well, so I'm an Enneagram eight. Okay. So yeah. I'm like, bring
1: it. Like, let's go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk? Like, because the, what you're like, people really think that they're that God is on the side of their party, yeah. and I think that that's yeah. just one more layer that makes us so incapable of having these conversations.
1: Yes. You
0: yes. know, I I have friends that I love dearly that are voting differently than me. Yes. Right. And, and they're I, good people. They're right? great I mean,
1: people. Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and, and I'm really fortunate to be able to have conversations with them and it doesn't become personal. You know, we're able to, to, to discuss policy and, and history and, and all of those kinds of things, but that is not the norm. I mean, I, I get DMS all the time from people who are like, my sister doesn't want to talk to me right now because of who I'm voting for. And that is just so sad. And the yeah. thing is, is that like, you know, you'll, you see the media touting this as like the, the election of a lifetime and the, the most divisive election ever. I don't think that that's the case. I think that our culture has just like denigrated so far in our ability to like agree to disagree or, Mm -hmm. or conversate with people that we don't agree with. Mm -hmm. That's why it looks the way that it does.
1: Yeah. And I think both parties, the kind of like the fringe, the outer, you know, like poli- more extreme views on both ends of the spectrum and their parties, they are the loudest in culture. Yes. And, and you're starting to think that those few people represent that whole party. And yes. that's not true either, but we don't have the real life engagement with people to be proven wrong about that.
0: And that's, I say that a lot that, yeah. not publicly really,
1: but, yeah, yeah.
0: but <laughs> you know, I'll talk to somebody and they'll express concern over the state of things. And I I think that the radicals are the loudest. So they're the ones you hear the most, you know, that there are a lot of people who land in the middle who are not fawning over either candidate, who don't think that if you vote for one or the other, you're going to hell. Like, but the other people are just so loud. And I think that we have to remember that and not radicalize people. Right. in our own minds. Right. Yeah. Because then you're going to be the problem. Like if you're coming to a conversation and know that this person believes differently and you immediately put them in the same camp as the radical left or the radical right. Yeah. You're the problem.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. You're the one with the inability to come to the conversation peaceably. I don't think we're realizing that in that, in the dehumanizing others, in the, them into a narrative, we're all, we're also dehumanizing ourselves, right? we we're yes. losing a piece of our humanity by the willingness to do that to others. So this isn't just something that hurts the other side and makes them victims. Like we're victims of that own kind of hatred or, or you know, narrative that we've painted people Amen. into, but I think what you're saying that the social media piece, you know, when it comes to the outspoken people on both sides, the social media piece is such a big part of that. I mean, we, I don't know if you've seen the social dilemma on Netflix, but I don't
0: have no. Netflix. Okay. Sorry, sorry. No, it's okay.
1: No, it's truly okay.
0: <laughs> I didn't mean that like in a weird way,
1: but everybody's like, have you watched the social dilemma? And I'm like, I wish that it was somewhere other than Netflix. I, you're probably a much healthier human because you don't have Netflix and just spend <laughs> your time more productively. But the, the whole point of the, of the documentary was to say, there is so much control that social media has that we don't realize and oh not gosh. to be like, you know, conspiracy theory, not, not to go down that route, but just yeah. to say that there are algorithms mm-hmm. that play into the things that we see and come across our screens. And that when it comes to news articles or the, you know, the feeds that we follow, um, they are not there to tell us the truth. They're there to entertain us and to get us to stay longer on their page. Well, and and that's not even bringing up censoring. No right. Yes, the censorship that's part is of it too. so out of control right now. Yes, and so I think there's there's two layers of problems that we're we are self isolating in our echo chambers because we can't we don't think we can get along with anyone different from us. But then there's the echo chambers being created on our social media feeds that we don't, that we don't even play a part in. That's happening. So I think we're we're inundated with it without necessarily realizing it, and it's shaping us more than we think. So that we're only exposed if we're exposed to the other side at all. It's only the extreme fringe people and or we're not exposed at all and then when we are exposed to them we think they're they're living in an alternate reality because they literally are they're <laughs> literally getting a different narrative about exactly. their view and it's, and it's uh, ruining us, you know, it's, we think, okay, we're the same ones. They're the crazy ones. Yes. We start to live that way. Yeah. Yes.
0: So last question. Cause obviously yeah. like, I mean, I literally could talk about this forever. <laughs> I'm like, somebody <laughs> wants to talk politics in like a neutral, like yeah. loving way. This is the best. Yeah. How do you suggest going about, like if people that are listening do live in an echo chamber yeah. How yeah. do you suggest breaking that outside of like, you can't control the algorithm, but how do you suggest people like start hearing and listening to voices yeah. other than the ones that agree with them?
1: Well, I think you can try to, you know, have an effect on the algorithm as much as you can. So that is, be careful about the articles that you're clicking on. I heard in the social dilemma, one of the things they said was never click on a suggested article or video for you because that's feeding an algorithm. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. But um, so I think you can have some, be, be a little proactive in it. What I like to do, like, you know, when the presidential debates are on or the vice presidential debate was on, I like to flip back and forth between a couple of different news networks. So I'll watch what they say on Fox and then I'll go to, either MSNBC or CNN and literally hear, okay, these are the two different narratives being told because one is telling me that it was awful for this reason. And another one's telling me it was great because of a different reason and, and being able to see, okay, people are, this is what People are listening to as their only news source. I need to be aware. This is what people are being exposed to. So I think it's. I think when we find um, you know these kind of big events culturally that are happening, that we know all the news stations are going to be reporting on, exposing ourselves to the different way it's being told is a good way to just be aware of a more holistic telling of the story. And I do think it's important to follow people who don't agree with you. I mean, again, find people who are thoughtful find podcasters or books. I think books is great. Books are great because you can, um, it's less emotional. You're not just getting an emotional reaction. You're getting, you are getting a more well thought out kind of argument for things. I think it's really helpful to know what's out there and then, you know, engage with the people who think differently than you, whether whether it's the people in your neighborhood or the, you know, the other parents at your kids' school or soccer teams, or, you know, I don't want to probably not going to church, but if if people are going, are going to church again, like that's the thing, you know, talking to them, getting to know um, their different uh, viewpoints. I think we start having a a better understanding of what God is like and his character when we expose ourselves to different representations of his image and people who think differently than us. Mm. And we don't, we can't, shrink down what God is like or the kingdom he's inviting us to live in if we aren't exposing ourselves to people who represent him but just in a different way
0: amen golly
1: so good and
0: I love what you said about finding people who are kind or yeah. who yes. you know that sure. you don't need to be exposing
1: yourself no. to like the garbage of Twitter no this is not an invitation to get yourself pummeled on exactly social media. yeah yeah no, exactly. Don't do that.
0: <laughs> and, and I love what you said about just switching it up. I do the same yeah. thing. So we yeah. like there's one segment of CNN that we watch. There's a segment yeah. of Fox News that we watch. Yeah. I follow like a lot of like more. Well, I don't know if anybody's really bipartisan anymore, but yeah, more bipartisan. <laughs> Try, yeah, you know, news outlets. Yeah. And then another thing that I'll do is like, like, look at hashtags like, oh, yeah, that's, you a know, good one. yeah. So the other day I was like, how does so and so feel about X, you know, you know political issue right right. and I couldn't really find it on their website and so I went to Twitter and like their name and and the issue and I was able to find like interviews and and commentary and stuff like that and a lot of it I didn't agree with but when we're recording this the VP debate was the night was last night Mm -hmm. people think Kamala one and people think Pence one Yes. that tells you everything you need exactly. to know about the state of politics is yeah. that yeah. your person won right <laughs> no matter it's what the conversation winner. looked like you know and, right. and people experienced it completely differently right. they thought it was just a totally different conversation than other people did and so i I think that that's really important and I'm really thankful that you're kind of not just championing this this message of the space between us and, yes. and togetherness and overcoming our differences but like telling us how to do it. You know, and not just be better. (laughs) Like here's. I
1: think the the other thing I I I try to follow people who aren't necessarily politicians, but social scientists, people who are not so in the kind of tribal mentality. They can kind of they're observing from higher up, and so I feel like they can um, give us a little bit more perspective. And also, anybody who the party they belong to is kind of, they've been excommunicated a little bit because they don't always toe the party line. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm interested in you. I want to follow people who are willing to call out the bad on their own team and the good on the other
0: team. That is literally my favorite. Like,
1: and when people ask, you know, because
0: I do talk about politics here and there on my platform, mm-hmm. people will ask like who I think they should follow. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm tentative to give people like names. But what I right. will say is find someone who talks crap about both parties. Yes. Yes. Like right. find somebody who's going to say Trump was an idiot in right. the debate. Right. And also say Biden has been
1: inconsistent. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, because that signals a self-awareness that yes. is wise and that's what we need and yeah. and a, a critical thinking capacity
0: yeah. that yeah. goes beyond party politics right you know, right. and yeah, anyway, we're going to yeah. start on a whole different rabbit trail <laughs> while I'm trying <laughs> to like wrap it up, but I love this. I'm so, so thankful that you are having these conversations. You wrote Thank this you. book. Um, when this is coming out, the election is next week. Okay. I'm sure that things are, are ramping up and, and tensions yeah. are even higher than they are now, which is we're just hard like, to imagine. Yeah, I know. I'm like, how can it possibly get more tense? But, <laughs> but I just- can you know, I want people to carry these things with them through the next week and through like whatever happens after that. Cause it's not, this is not going to end on the third. That's right. That's important. We just have got to, and I love what you said at the beginning about, I want my kids to experience a political discourse because Mm -hmm. I showed it to them and I create, you know, we experienced it, not just because I told them about it. And the only
1: way that's going to happen is if we walk it out. Yeah, that's right. So I'm
0: so thankful. Thank you so much, Sarah.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.